The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, church. I want to welcome you, those of you that are here, those of you visiting, those online. Welcome in the name of Jesus. I want to remind you or invite you to this Thursday night, we're going to have the slide. We're going to have a worship night uh, at Hafer Park this Thursday night, September 28th, beginning at 6.30 p.m. So we invite all of you guys out to come out. It's fall. The, the, the temperatures are getting at a pleasant, uh, it's going to be a pleasant temperature outside. We can enjoy being with one another in nature and lifting up our praises to God. So this is bring your own lawn chairs. Bring your own lawn chairs, September 28th this Thursday night at 6.30, just for a time of worship. Also, be sure and bring your, invite your friends, your neighbors. We'd love to have everyone come out. Here at the Springs, we are a church that's being transformed in the image of Christ so that anyone can find their way to God. And we do that by gathering in the name of the Father like we do this morning, by growing into the image of the Son, and by, by going in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this year is a year of gather where we want to talk about, we've been talking about unity. And so Brett and I have been preaching through Philippians, one spirit, one mind, one love. And today our text is Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 18. It says this. Therefore, dear friends, as you've always obeyed, Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father, as always, we give you thanks for your word. For your word is our life. And we know down deep that we cannot live on bread alone or anything else that will be able to sustain us like your word. And so, as always, we pray for ears to hear, hearts to follow, lives and bodies that will obey, And God, I ask for the gift of preaching that you may speak through me, that your body may hear and be empowered to live out the life you intend for us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I love it when things work the way they're supposed to. Like when you wake up in the morning and you hit the power button on the coffee maker, and it just works, and coffee starts coming out. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. 
There's nothing worse than when your coffee maker goes out. We take this for granted, but I also love it when I get in my car and I tell the car to turn on, I push a button or I turn that key and the car just starts up. I love it when it works. I love it when I'm hungry and I go to a fast food place and this only really works at Chick-fil-A when there's a long line and you give them your order and you think this is gonna take forever but they do it and they do it quick and you're in or out and you give them your order and then boom, it looks like it's gonna take 15 minutes and it takes like two. Don't you love it when you can kind of just push that button, give that command and whatever it is, it just works, it obeys. Every spring I have this problem. I have a riding lawnmower and I let the grass, as it starts growing, to, to grow up a little high. And man, I need, to, I need to mow the grass. And even though I know in the back of my mind that I need to service my lawnmower, I never do it until I actually need to mow the lawn. So the only thing I really want to do is just hit, just turn that key and start mowing. But I hate it because I've got to change the fuel filter. I've got to change the oil filter. I've got to, I hate it. I don't like putting stuff together. I just want to take it out of the box and plug it in and it works. If there's an instruction manual, no way. I just want to tell it to do what it does and I want it to obey and do it right then, right there. Thank you. <laughs> Some sane people in this room. But not everything works like that for me. I also coach soccer. And when I assemble a really good team, I don't expect everything to work perfectly right away. You may be like this as well. There may be things in your life that you enjoy the journey and the process, working it out, rather than just this immediate, like this works. I enjoy the process of going to training every day and working out how this group is going to work together and use the gifts that they've had in order to do something and be successful together. Some of you may like the fast food or you may like it when the food just appears, right? You hit ding and it's just ready. But other you, others of you enjoy the process of cooking, of working to create something. Some of you are like, man, I just want to lose weight. I just want it to go off. And some of you, maybe not most of you, I'm probably not getting any amens out of this. Some of you actually just enjoy the process of working out. Philippians 2 says this, verse 12, it says, Therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but much more in my absence. Paul is affirming in the church in Philippi that their obedience, there's that sense that it's working, that their community's working on some level, that when you obey, things work. It's like hitting the start button and everything works, right? The command, go, start, and it works. It works. 
There's this real sense that he says you've obeyed and it works. But then there's also this sense of the second part that I talked about. It says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. That there's one sense when I like the, the lawnmower to just start, but there's another sense that salvation is about working out something. Kind of like when I choose a team and I put them together, I don't expect it to work out great, but they're a team. They've been chosen, right? But we have to go through the drills. We have to do these things in order to work out what we're going to do together. And so Paul very much says, you have obeyed, but I want you to continue obeying. And I want you to work out your salvation. This is not work for, but this is an idea about salvation, that salvation needs to be worked out. Like all the ingredients are there, like the team and the gift is there, and we just need to work this thing out. Now, usually when we think about working out our salvation in our Western minds, we think about this, that each individual person is to work out their own salvation, whatever that means. English doesn't serve us well here because in this text, there is no singular. There's one singular salvation, but working out, your, is plural, and everything about working this out is plural. So actually, there is a form of English that is very helpful. You find this in the South. Yes, y'all. The translation should read, y'all need to continue to work out y'all's salvation. That's how it actually reads. There's no other way. There's literally in the Greek no other way to read it. It's not you individually. It's y'all. Or for our Canadian friends, you guys. <laughs> you guys. Y'all, you all, you guys work out together your own common salvation with fear and trembling. That's hard for us to imagine. But you need to imagine it because your own salvation cannot mean each individual member of the church to focus on their own soul salvation. Because just before this, if we're reading earlier in chapter 2, it says, Paul says, you should not look to your own interests, but to the interest of others. So if you're not to look to your own interests, but to the interest of others, it just can't be about you. It's about us. And in light of chapter 2, 5 through 11, the Christ hymn, it would be inappropriate to think about this as an individual salvation. For Christ did not focus on his own self, but emptied himself. So salvation in this sense can mean several things. It can mean saved. It can also mean healed. It can also be made whole. Continue to work out your being made whole together with fear and trembling. Salvation, according to Paul, 
in Philippians is not a state of being, uh, it's not a state of being of each individual, right? That you're saved and you're saved and you're saved. Salvation is this form of life that we share together. That's what salvation is, this form of life. That's a difficult thing for us to imagine our culture, but it would not be necessarily in Paul's day. Salvation is a form of life that looks like this. Here's what it looks like. In humility, value others above yourself. And this takes work. Y'all continue to work out your common salvation. Continue to work out what it means to be humble together and to look after each other's interests. You see what we're doing now? This is what God's life looks like because Jesus valued us above himself and he valued God above himself. He did not consider quality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He emptied himself. And this is the way of salvation, Paul says. And he says to do this with fear and trembling. In order, this is what this means, that you humble yourself by becoming obedient. Because this is what Jesus did. He humbled himself and by becoming obedient even to death on a cross. But also, he obeys by humbling himself. To see how humility and obedience go together. It would make sense, right? Because if I'm going to submit to someone or submit to my parents, I would have to humble myself. I'm old, but I'm not that old. I remember those teenage years when my parents wanted me to do something and they told me to do something, but I'm my own person, I could do what I want. And it took a little bit of humbling. You remember those days? Or maybe, maybe this, might be, uh, this might be indicting, but maybe your boss asks you to do something, and you're like, really? And there's a sense of humility. Right? For it is God at work in you to work his purposes. And this is God's purposes. Hear me out. Here's God's purposes. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind of Christ. When we humble ourselves and become obedient like Christ has. In your, this is God's purposes for all of us, that in your relationships with one another, this is the working out of your salvation, in the relationships with one another, have the same mind of Christ Humility and obedience. It's kind of mutual submission. This is not looking to our own interests, but to the interests of others, which is actually God's interest. God's interest is the interest of others. So we could say this, salvation equals the way of emptying. 
This is God's salvation in Jesus Christ. That he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That he emptied himself. He humbled himself and became obedient, even unto death. So when we give ourselves to Christ, when we are in him and live out his life, this way of self-emptying, God works in us as we work out this form of life, the self-emptying form of life in our relationships. God is working in us as we are working out this salvation. This is the way of life found in Jesus. This is salvation the way of self-emptying. But it seems like the problem in the book of Philippians can be found in, in uh, just a little bit later. He says this. He says, in light of all this, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firm to the word of life. Here's the problem, grumbling and arguing. We're going to see later there are spots where there are people that are grumbling, murmuring, and arguing. And he's actually taking a bit from the Old Testament where it calls back to Numbers chapter 14, 1 through 4, where Israel, God's people, are about to enter into the promised land And they're with Moses and Aaron, and it says, That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If we had only died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is it that the Lord is bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children children would be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This is the kind of murmuring and complaining and grumbling and arguing. They're right at the edge of the border into the land, across into God's promised land. And they're like, oh, we could have just, it's better to die in Egypt. Look across there. There's no way we can win. Maybe in the wilderness, we should have died there. Or if we don't die, maybe worse, maybe we'll just be taken as plunder. Hey, I've got an idea. Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back to Egypt. Hey, let's choose another leader. Let's go back to Egypt. Now, don't get me wrong. There are many things to complain about. There are lots of things that we can complain about. And maybe not all complaining complaints are, are bad. But I want you to notice the difference here. Israel complains as they're at the precipice. They're, they're about to cross over into the land. And they complain about what they, what they think might happen to them. But if you look earlier in the story, God hears their complaints while they're in 
Egypt, right? Those complaints aren't bad. God hears their cry and hears their complaints. But what's the difference between the two? Well, when they're in Egypt and they cry out about their situation, this is a complaint that trusts God with their collective future. God, our future is in your hands. Do something. But when they get to the land, when they're about to enter the land and they begin to complain about the challenges ahead, they are afraid. And their complaint lasts lacks trust in God's future. You see the difference? Valid complaints are complaints like in Egypt where it says, God, our future is in your hands. We trust you. We're complaining about this unjust situation and those complaints are valid. But the kind of complaining that Paul's talking about here in Philippians is a kind of complaining which does not trust in God's future. God, I don't know about this community. And if it's difficult to trust in God's future because you can't trust in the community, it's easier to go back to Egypt. But he says this. He goes, if, if, you, if you trust in God's future and you don't argue and complain, You'll be blameless in this warped and crooked generation. For it seems that in Paul's day, this is one of the major problems. That people are constantly doing this, complaining and arguing. Doesn't seem far-fetched from our day, does it? And like I said, there are legitimate things to complain about. Don't get me wrong. But there are those things where we trust God with our future. But there are, and we know this to be true. You've been in churches, you've been in organizations, you've been in groups where the complaining happens and it's a lack of trust in that future. But he says if you don't argue and complain, he says that you will shine like stars as you hold the word of life. In fact, what he's saying is this is that a community that trusts one another and doesn't complain and argue, but trusts in God's future together. Now, when I say don't complain and argue, I'm not saying a, a, a community that is, doesn't have disagreements. That's kind of a false unity. If we're going to imagine a community that, that everybody agrees on everything, you are fooling yourself, and I guarantee you will not find that community. You think you'll find that community? You will not. Does that make sense? If we started going down all the lists of all the things that we believe or what, you're not going to find a community that thinks exactly. It's going to be difficult. But a community that can disagree well without grumbling and complaining and arguing is a community of light. And it's not only just a community of light within this room. Paul says it's a community of light to the world as well. If you go outside, night, stars have this way about them. 
that catch your eye in the darkness. We could see individual stars at night, but because there's usually so much light pollution around us in the city, we can't see clusters of stars like the Milky Way. But I remember one time being in Honduras, going out at night, being on the island of Rotan, away from all the light pollution. And it felt like there were more lights in the sky than there was darkness. And you could see the Milky Way, and you couldn't see individual stars, but it looked like a stream of milk going across the sky. And you can't help, I couldn't help but marvel and wish that that's the way the sky was all the time. When the world, Paul says, when the world sees a community that doesn't grumble and argue and complain the way the world does, they'll look as if it's like the Milky Way, light and darkness. And they'll say, I wish that's the way the world was. When we hold to the word of life, when we hold to the Christ hymn and look after the interests of others above our own, we will be like a milky way of stars that show up in the dark, in a dark world polluted by artificial light. But I got to be honest with you. This takes sacrifice. Philippians 2 the end of 16. He says, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, by and large, the New Testament, for sure, they see Jesus, they, when, they, when the language of sacrifice is used, they see Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. That is true. But Philippians, it does not talk about Christ in this way. It doesn't talk about a Christ, the Christ and his death as a sacrifice for us. What it's talking about is that this is a sense that Christ's own sacrifice is an example to us. It's showing us the way. Now, here's how that can be true. If you're like, wait a minute, Ben, are you sure about this? Well, hear me out for a second. I've, I think I've used this example before. But if, if, if someone is talking about me, let's say John is speaking about me, you're going to hear some things, John, I'm assuming John's not going to lie about me, that John would speak about me in a certain way. But if my wife spoke about me, do you think John and my wife would speak exactly the same way about me? Let's hope not. See what I mean? That Paul can talk about Jesus and his death in different ways. So for sure, Christ's sacrifice is for you, but it's in two senses. The first sense is that Christ, his sacrifice is on your behalf. But in the second sense, this is the sense that Philippians means. 
It's in a sense that Christ sacrifices for you. It's to show you the way. This is God's way. Philippians says, intend to say Christ dies for you. He dies to show you that this is the way. So Paul is being poured out. Paul is being poured out like a drink offering or he's being offered up to shed his blood as a sacrifice. That's what he says. His life is being poured out like Jesus' life was. But if it's a drink offering that's part of this ritual which he's, which he's conjuring up, he's trying to get them to imagine this ritual, then what is the sacrifice? And he says this. It's the sacrifice of faith. The sacrifice of faith is koinonia. It's faithful communion. He goes, here is your sacrificial way of living. That you live in fellowship with one another that you live as a faithful communion. This is God's purposes in the world. This is your sacrifice. It's sacrificial faith in relationships to one another, Paul says. And here's what it looks like, and we're going to end with this. So why don't you stand? I'm going to read this. I just want you to hear it, and then we'll sing together. This is what sacrificial faith looks like in relationships. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name of every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father Amen